Consider Your Ways. We are in the book of Haggai, um, chapter 2. Um, this is our June series. If you do need a Bible, put your hand up. Our ushers are ready to pass them out. As well as if you're a child, we're not, uh, if you have small children, uh, we won't be doing children's worship right now, but we do have crayons and some coloring photos for the kids. So if you need either one of those, just stick your hand up and the ushers will bring them by. We also, make sure you can tell the difference between who needs Bibles and who needs crayons, just so you know. We also have some large print Bibles for those who need them. We just got all those in because we do want to help those who uh, can't see very well. We want you to see the Word of God and read as well. So those ushers will be passing those around. Um, if, you, if you are in your Bible and you have the Pew Bible, it is page 791. And we are in the book of Haggai. And we've learned a little bit about Haggai. Uh, first of all, just the, the book itself is named after the prophet, the man. Often within books of the Bible, they are named after either a phrase, usually in the first part of the book. It's either named after uh, a person who wrote it, or it is named after um, the uh, group that it's written to. So books like Romans, Corinthians, things like that. Haggai is written, af- um, written or named after the man who wrote it, and he was a prophet of God, living in what was called the post-exilic time. The nation of Israel had been in exile in the, uh, the land of Babylon, and because of God's judgment on their life, he had taken them off the land. He had warned them time and time again to repent of their ways by sending different prophets, but the people refused to listen, so God sent them into exile into Babylon. And they were there for about 70 years, rounded up. Uh, There were three different waves that came back to the promised land. And uh, after they came back to the promised land, under the leadership of the Persian king Cyrus, who had conquered the Babylonians, and wanted to incur favor with the people that he had conquered, so he sends them back to their homelands, often to rebuild their religious centers, so that he could basically have all his religious bases covered. And so he sends the people back, and they they took advantage of this opportunity, and God instructs them to rebuild his temple, which was the center of Jewish identity. And so they start to rebuild this temple, but opposition occurs, and building is stopped for about 16 years. And that's when Haggai shows up, to encourage the people to get back and finish what they started, and to consider their ways, because the people were having a really hard time in that they had everything on the surface. They were making money, they had nice homes, but yet, no matter what they did, it seemed not to be enough. Even the money they made, it seemed to just fall out of their pockets. The food that they they ate never seemed to fill them. The clothes that they had never seemed to warm them. Even the crops that they planted, they had great plans and ideas, and they would plant all these seeds, and nothing would grow. And it was because God was against them because they had taken their own way rather than God's way. And so God was against them. And God says, until you choose my way and abandon your way, you're going to experience futility in your life. So I'm inviting you, and he says twice in the first few verses of Haggai, to consider your ways. Consider them. Think about them. That's exactly what it means. Think about the situation in which you find yourself. Are you going to keep choosing your way? Are you going to do my way? Because if you keep using your way, you're going to enter into futility. You're going to experience frustration and failure. But if you enter God's way, go through God's door of opportunity, then you will experience great blessing. And so his words resonate through the corridors of time and to us today because the Bible says clearly that what happened to the nation of Israel was to serve as an example for us. In our lives, 
on, on, on preventing the mistakes um, from us making the mistakes that they had made. I don't know if you were like this, but when I was in high school, I had friends of mine that were a few years younger that sat down and we were talking one time and they said, you know, I've learned so much of life by watching you. I know exactly what not to do now. <laughs> and in some ways, that's what we see when we see Israel. We read the Old Testament so we might learn from their example and that we may not repeat the same mistakes that they made because we have a tendency to repeat stupidity. Don't we? We have a tendency to do the same dumb things over and over and over again. We fail to learn our lesson. But God calls to us to consider our ways, to think about it. And as I was thinking about and, and prepping for today's verse, I, I was thinking about fatherhood and graduates and graduates passing on to life and full of hope and promise. And I, I was thinking of, of fathers and the responsibility of a father in the home and, and how we get, as, as men, a bad rap, but not, not unrightfully so, because many men have failed. Our society is filled with fathers who have failed. And many of us are, are, have understand firsthand that we have failed. We have failed. And, I, and many of, of men have left their children and left this, the home in shambles. And I'm reminded of Lucille Ball. Years ago, the comedian, comedian Lucille Ball was asked the question, what's wrong with the world today? You know what she said? Daddy's not home. If daddy were home, he would take care of everything. If we had fathers, men who would follow through and be the leaders that God wanted them to be, we wouldn't be in this mess. And I was reminded of the organization that came out in the late 80s, early 90s called Promise Keepers. Remember that organization? For those who have been in Christ for a while, you might be familiar with it. For those who are new to the Christian life, you may not have heard of it. But it was an organization created strictly for men to be better fathers and husbands. And I'm amazed that these this promise keepers would always be protested. And I'm like, who has a problem with people being better dads and fathers? I, I don't understand that. But the promise keepers was to call men to follow through on their promises. And, and, and it's, it's really spawned a great movement of men that have done so. And, and yet there's been failure, and we will fail as dads. We're going to fail uh, as parents. But, you know, I look at God, and I see in Haggai the God who never fails. The God who always keeps his promises, no matter what the circumstances and situations in which life, life goes on. God always is faithful. And we can be so unfaithful, but God finds himself faithful. And this passage is, what it's about is the God who does keep promises and God daring us to trust in him and believe in his promises and do what he wants us to do. And that is follow him, honor him as first place in our life, to step through God's way and not our way, and then watch God keep the promises that he has laid forth of blessing in our lives. And that's what this message is about today. So I would really encourage you to turn it with me to the book of Haggai as we really break this down and see about God who is the true promise keeper and the blessing he has for us and what it takes for us as followers of Jesus to enter in to this blessing. But before we go any further, let's pray. Our Father and our God, you are the promise keeper. We are so thankful that you have created and called us unto yourself. Lord, we know our failures all too well. We can look back at uh, 
back at our lives and we can see where we have so fallen short as fathers, as parents, and just as individuals. Lord, I pray that you help us to be true promise keepers, not just as dads, but as followers of Jesus. And Lord, help us to believe you according to your word, to believe in your promises, and to trust you for what you have for us. And Lord, help us to reorient our lives to reflect that truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's jump right into our text and see what, we ha- what God has for us. Let's, let's jump right in. Verse 1, chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, which we've already established who Haggai is. And God says to him, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. He was the, the civic leader or the civil leader governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, which is the religious leader, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. These are the people that had been, some of them had been left in the land. They hadn't gone into exile. God had left a remnant, but he'd also brought a remnant back. So basically, he's addressing the people that are there that are ready to rebuild. And he wants to address them and encourage them to continue to, or to stop, start rebuilding. Then he says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former this saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Now I want to stop there for a moment and get a little bit of a um, set the stage a little bit. We've talked about this a little bit before, but this book is intimately connected with a few other Old Testament books: Zechariah and the books of Ezra, and then later in Nehemiah. And these books are all kind of chronicling this post-exilic, what we call after the exile, post means after, after, period in Israel's history. And these people had started to rebuild the foundation of the temple. And when they rebuilt it, there was a celebration. We had reached our goal. And so there was, there was some who were just praising God, and while there were other people that were crying. Now, the reason was, and we've talked about this before, the reason was um, because the people, that were, or the people that were crying were the people that had seen the old temple. Now, the old temple had built, been built by one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. And it was, for those who know, Solomon. Now, Solomon had some of the greatest, I mean, he decked it out. There was gold. It was, their interior was fitted with gold. I mean, gold was everywhere. Beautiful tapestries. There was just woven yarn, and everything was just wonderful and gorgeous and ornate, and people would come and see it. And it was, it was beautiful to behold. And the older people, they were kids when they were taken into exile, and they remembered how beautiful it was. And they see it now, and they're like, it's so sad. It's not even going to be anything like the old one. Now, the younger generation, they were just happy to have the temple built. They didn't have any idea what it was like. They were just thankful that they had this. Now, there's something that God has for us here that we can learn from their perspective. Because God says to them, how many of you now, it's not in its former glory. It's not like it was. It says nothing in your eyes. And it broke their heart. But God says, that can't stop you from building. So we have this thing where we, we think if it's not going to be as good as it was before, we don't do it anymore. We don't do it anymore. 
And see, what God is telling us there is, if you're going to step forward with me, and you're going to enter my blessing, then it requires you leaving your past behind. It's never going to be the way that it was. Now, I'm not talking about your sinful, uh, I mean, not just your sinful past. Of course, we're to leave that behind. But here he's saying the past, the glory days. Those glory days. You can't recapture them. Sometimes we hear folks say it's the good old days. Well, when I was young, it was like this. When I was young, it was like that. And as Warren Worsby said, usually that the good old days was what? It was a good imagination with a bad memory. (laughs) That's what it was. Sometimes it wasn't really as glorious as they thought it was. And God's saying, no, you have to leave that behind. It's gone now. You have to leave your past behind. And in order to do so, I need you to do a few different things. If you're going to leave your past behind, you have to realize, first of all, that you can't let this threaten your present obedience. You're going to leave it behind. You can't let it threaten your present obedience. See, we have a tendency to let our past glory days, it's never going to be like it was, that I don't want to do it now. Right? Okay, I've been... um, this, lately, I've been moving around, and I haven't been very active, and I'm getting out of shape. Or maybe I'm getting in shape, if round is a shape. Um, and I'm, I'm getting out of shape. Now, I ran the marathon four years ago. You would never believe it, I know, but I ran the marathon. It took a lot of work to get there. I know what work it took to get, to get trim and to eat right and to have these habits, to do it well. And now, when I get ready to work out again, do you think I can just start working out immediately? I think about all the stuff that I had to go through to get there before, and I go, it's overwhelming. I don't want to do it again. So rather than let it inspire me, I let it cripple me and paralyze me because I, I can't do it the way that it was before. Many of us think that. We can't do it the way we used to do it, so we don't want to do it now. God's saying, no, this is different. Don't let it threaten your present obedience. Don't let those old days cripple you now. I've got something else for you. So don't let it threaten your present obedience. Instead, you have to treasure it for what it was. Treasure it for what it was. It was a great time. It was a great time. Treasure it. That's the point you need to write down. Let her be there. Treasure it for what it was. See, the, the, the older people needed to treasure those great memories that were there but they couldn't let it cripple them from continuing to build. That's what they had done. Because they couldn't do it the way it was before, they quit. And they weren't behind the project any longer. And God says, no, you've got to treasure it for what it was, and now you need to let me, you need to be obedient in the here and now, and then let me take you to new heights. Let me take you to new heights. Because he goes on in the text. Look back at verse, look at verse 9. Actually, verse 7. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. So so these older people were having a very hard time because it wasn't good as it was before. And he's saying, I'm going to make it better, but you've got to be obedient to me and do what I want you to do. It may not seem now, but I've got a bigger plan than you can imagine. So don't let it threaten your present obedience. Instead, let me take you to new heights. But you have to be obedient. You have to do this. Just like in sharing the gospel, God doesn't call you to be Billy Graham. 
He doesn't call you to have all the answers. Do you know what he calls you to do? Cast your net. That's it. You know, that's what he tells the apostles. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what he, he tells them to do, remember when Jesus tells them that? They, they had been, they'd have this futility in their search for fish in one episode of Jesus' life, this, actually after the resurrection. And he says, throw your net over. That's what I want you to do. You throw the net, and then I'm going to bless it. You be obedient, I'll take care of the rest. See, the problem is that many of us, we want to be able to see where that next step is. And God says, no, trust me for that, and then I'll take care of the rest. We need to make sure that we are trusting him and not letting it threaten our present obedience, but let God take us to new heights. God take us to new heights. I don't think many of us trust in God for that. I'm reminded of the book of Ephesians chapter 3. I've shared this verse over the last few months, and I, I really am going to bring it out a little bit more today. Now to him, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. This is called like a benediction like we do here. And he's giving praise to God. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we, could, we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God can do more than us in and through us when we are obedient. But we don't believe that. We are settled. We, I mean, we settle for just going along and cruising rather than just entering into this vibrant, wonderful life of blessing, of doing what God wants us to do and be. We can't let it threaten our present obedience, but we must let God take us to new heights. And if we're to enter, going to enter into this blessing, it requires us changing our perspective. Changing our perspective. That's number two in your notes. Changing our perspective. God needs to change our perspective, and we need to help change our perspective if we're to do and see God's way. we got to change how we look at things. It's like the little boy who, who, who took his, he had his bat on his shoulder and the baseball, and he threw it up, and he goes, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. <laughs> Strike. Picks up the ball, throws it again. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. <laughs> Strike. Picks it up a third time. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Strike three. He goes, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. Right? Changing our perspective and how we look at things. And God says, I want you to look it through my eyes. Not through your own eyes. Your eyes are limited in what you can see. But God's eyes, he can see the entire thing. And he says, trust in me. Change your perspective. Trust me. For what I'm about to do. Be obedient. Do it. See, we want to see the next step. And we don't trust in God's provision. We have to change our perspective. Change our perspective. Let's look at verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord of hosts. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong. He says three times to be Strong, declares the Lord. Then he says, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. See, if we're to change our perspective, it requires us believing in faith. Believing in faith. We have to take God at his word. See, many of us don't do that. We don't trust God. We have a hard time trusting God. It reminds me of my, my, uh, my kids. 
Now, dads in the house, I don't know if you've done this. You probably do it when your wife's not around. But when you had your child and they were small, did you ever throw them up in the air? Okay, you can admit it now. Your child has grown for some of you. I, I've done that. Um, and I'd throw, I'd throw my kids up in the air and I'd catch them and I'd see how far I could throw them up and wait a minute and come back down and I'd catch them and watch my wife have a heart attack in the corner. And then, uh, but I, I'd throw them up in the air. But, you know, there's a change that happens right around three, three and a half years old. And my son's starting to change now. Because you know what happens now when I throw him up in the air? Before he'd just go, wee, catch, throw it up in the air. Wee, catch. Now he goes, ah! And he tries to grab on, and that's when I get ready to drop him. See, many of us are like that with God. When we first come to him, we're like, wee, catch. And then some things happen in our life, and we go, ah! We can't let God, we, we're afraid to let God, we don't trust him anymore. And God says, believe and take me in faith. Take me in faith. Believe in me. According to, the, I mean, did you see that in Ephesians? According to more than we could, I mean, he could do more than we could ask or imagine. According to the power that is at work within us. See, many of us don't realize that power that's in us. You know, it's like a little toy. When you buy a toy for your kid and it says batteries included. And in order to enter into that, what do you have to do to, get to you got to turn it on so the batteries take effect, Right? See, many of us have that power work within us, but we don't turn it on. We're not connected. We don't realize that the Holy Spirit is at work within us. And we, don't, we don't tap into that power. We don't flip the switch of faith to enter into that power that God has at work within us. See, God is telling them, be strong. Be strong. Take me in faith and fear not. What's the most repeated command in all of Scripture? Fear not. And God has to tell him again, fear not. You've got to change your perspective. So in order to enter into this or change your perspective, it requires us believing, taking God in faith to enter through his door. We don't know what's on the other side of that. It could be hardship. But I guarantee there's great blessing. So we have to believe in faith, and then we also have to beat fear. Fear not. Believing in faith Beating fear. That's the second one right under changing your perspective. Beating fear. We have to overcome our fear. You know, I heard a joke yesterday, uh, and I, I'm going to tell it, and some people were with me at a conference, and they're going to hear this before, they heard it before, but it's, a, it's about a, kind of how fear alienates us. It's about a, a Texas billionaire who had, through uh, lavish parties, and, and uh, he would always like to kind of challenge his guests. So he had all these people at the party, and there was a big giant pool, and in the pool was a man-eating shark. And he says, I challenge any of my guests, and I promise that if you jump in my pool and swim across from it and get away from the shark, I will give you one of three things. I'll give you either $10 million, I'll give you tw- um, 10% of my cattle business, or I will give you my beautiful daughter's hand in marriage. No one ever took him up on his offer until one day he's at a party and hears a splash. And next thing you know, he sees this man in his dinner jacket swimming for his life. He's swimming through his life. He gets all the way to the other side. People are overjoyed. They're applauding him, applauding him. The Texas billionaire comes up to him and he goes, Son, 
I, I'm impressed no one's ever taken me up on my challenge, but I'm a, I, I promise to, to fulfill this, so would you like $10 million? He goes, no, I don't want your $10 million. He goes, well, then you must want 10% of uh, my, my cattle business. He goes, no, I don't want 10% of your cattle business. He goes, well, you, you must want then my beautiful daughter's hand in marriage. And he says, no, I'm married. I don't want your beautiful daughter's hand in marriage. He goes, well, what do you want? He goes, I want the name of the guy who pushed me. <laughs> See, many of us, I mean, we, don't, we, we believe that there's sharks in there, and God's going to give us a little push sometimes. He says, I'm going to help you overcome your fear and find that you can get through this. So we have to take God, believe in faith, and beat fear. Look at verse 4 again. Be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong. Be strong. The Hebrew word there uh, for be strong, here's what it indicates. It denotes a frame of mind which enables one to pursue or initiate something with fervor and and diligence. In this case, it is to act, to do something. The implied object is work. Leaders and people must not be discouraged but must join hands and forces in diligently promoting the significant task of rebuilding the temple of the Lord. The responsibility of each leader and of the people individually and jointly is emphasized by the repetition of the command, strong, which is singular, with the exhortation to all of them to act together, plural. So he's saying to each one, be strong, but then they're to act and respond together to rebuild the temple. And then that requires us then building fervently. That's letter C in your notes. Building fervently. So we change our perspective. We have to, we have to believe in faith. We have to beat fear. But then we, must, we need to start doing. Building. You have to replace a negative with a positive. Nature hates a vacuum. So we must be building fervently. And it's not anybody else. Sometimes we say, oh, it's this person or that person or it's the members or the leadership. It doesn't mean me. It's like the little boy who came to his teacher and surprised her because he'd not been doing very well in school and his grades were really bad. So he came and tapped on the teacher, surprising her. And she said, what can I do for you, honey? He says, I don't mean to scare you, but my daddy said that if, if the grades don't, imp- he said, if grades don't improve, somebody's getting a spanking. See, he was thinking she was going to be the one getting the spanking, not her, Right? Because, and we think it's always somebody else, not us. So God is saying, no, I want you all building fervently. He says, work, for I am with you to rebuild. Now, building fervently means we all must take up our responsibility. And, if, and, and, and I, as I mentioned last week, we did not choose this book before our flooding, I mean, we choose, excuse me, we chose it before our flooding ever occurred. We had no idea of the financial situation in which we would find ourselves. And we have, as we have started just even working with our, our downstairs, we have discovered all these things that went wrong. We had asbestos in our basement that had to be removed. And then through the flooding, we've discovered something else that just came up and it's getting hopefully removed this week. We discovered mold that had to be removed. Now, to remove all that costs money. And that's shifted everything and, and caused, in some ways, ministries to halt. And we are asking the people of God to consider your ways. I mean, I think God is asking us that, quite honestly. When I started reading this after this situation, I went, what are you telling us, God? Why 
why are you, why did you do this now? Consider your ways. You live in paneled houses while my house lies literally downstairs in ruins. And we want to show you, we're going to present this in the next few weeks, but I just want to give you a kind of a short preview of this. This is how we can partner together. Now, we can work, but we're also talking about developing a culture of generosity. As Bible-believing Christians, we take God and His Word that we are to be generous. That is one of the hallmarks of Christianity and something that we have overlooked due to the abuses we have seen in our greater culture. So we are to be generous. And we're showing this, we want to show you this, how this can happen. We're trying to get this done by August 1st with people pledging or giving. And we see, um, we have about, I think, like 57 people here listed. I might be wrong there. It might be 56, 58. I'm not good at math. But this is what we're looking at for one person. And we know that there are people that can afford this to $2,000, another person to give $1,500. Or you can pledge this. And on June 30th, we're going to have a time where you can pledge how much you can give. Now, this has to be above and beyond our general offering to keep everything functioning well so we can minister to the community in a very, I mean, in a good manner. We can host different groups that are coming in, and then we can share the love of Christ in this facility. So two people to give 1,000, three people to give 700, and then three people 550, five people 450, seven 400, seven 300, 10 200, and 16 people 100. And originally we had presented to you $10,000, and the reason that amount has doubled is because of we found the asbestos. I mean, not just the asbestos, there was some stuff with the asbestos that the price had to increase, and then the mold, all the stuff has increased. And then even when we had our air conditioning units, and I shared this with you a few weeks ago, we had someone steal the copper off our air conditioning units. It got a few hundred bucks. It cost $10,500 to replace that. Now, granted, insurance kicked in for a portion of it, but there's still $3,500 that wasn't part of our greater budget. So these are real needs that we're indicating and making known to the congregation. We know that finances are tight, and some of you can't afford to do it. Matter of fact, I'm hoping and praying that we can help and be generous, not to take care of just these issues, but we can help those that are hurting in our midst. That's what we want to do. It's not just about a building. It's about the kingdom of God. And we want to minister it to people. We want to make sure that we're doing that and not losing sight of the forest through the trees. We want to make sure that we're ministering to people. And it's interesting. I was reading this past week that if those who attend and consider Village Bible Church their home would increase their giving by 1%, all of our financial problems would be gone. 1%. It's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? We're to be building fervently, to be addressing and making God a priority in our lives. Making his kingdom growth the main heartbeat of our life, to see and honor him with all that we have, giving back to him, recognizing that he has been generous to us, we will be generous to him, and helping other people as well at the same time. So, we need to make sure that we are building fervently. Now, all of this requires one thing, and it's standing on God's promises. How many of you remember that song? Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Remember that song? There's some great lyrics in there. I want to share this one verse. Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God. Chorus. Standing, standing, 
Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Great song. For those that didn't know it, hope you didn't feel a little weirded out. It's okay. We love you. Okay? But it's a great song because it indicates that no matter what happens in life, that I'm going to stand on the promises of God. And God has given us promises in His Word. And He's asking us to stand on them, to find our root in it. And that's what God is saying to us through Haggai, and He's challenging the people of Israel and us to be standing on the promises of God. That if we're to enter into these promises of the true everlasting promise keeper, then it requires us standing on the promises of God. Standing on His promises. Now, what are some of these promises? And we can see this within the text. First of all, there is the promise of presence. God's presence. God be in the midst of the work. You know, it's one of those things, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you have a lot of anxiety and you don't know someone who was supposed to help with the project, whatever you were doing, that uh, wasn't there and you didn't know all the details and you couldn't handle it and you had all this anxiety and then they walked through the door and then you felt relief. Why? Because they were present. You know, with us, God is with us. By His Spirit, He, he enters into our life the moment that we trust in Christ. And when we give all of our plans to Him, asking Him to change them, do whatever He wants to do with them, because if, if they're our plans, they're going to fail. If they're God's plans, they'll succeed. So we give Him all of our plans and asking Him to bless us and bless it. And He gives us, first of all, the blessing of His presence. Notice what He says within the text. Look at verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for... What is it, church? I am with you. I am with you. I am with you through this thing. I'm going to be present with you according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Now, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, God didn't indwell people. He would come alongside, he would clothe them, and he would share, I mean, have his spirit with a person, but didn't come permanently to dwell in his people until the act of Pentecost. And then he dwells in us as believers. Now I want you to see this passage again from Ephesians chapter 3, one we already talked about. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Remember the batteries? you got to flip the switch, and the switch is faith. Batteries are included. God gives them to us. We have to switch, flip that switch of faith. So we see not only is He giving us His presence, but He's giving us His power. Power. God is with us. He's present with us, but He's also given a spirit of power. Love and self-control. It is a spirit of power. That's why this Ephesians passage, once again, according to the power at work within us, that comes through the Spirit of God. 
that God gives to each person when they repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ, God enters into you and makes you a brand new creature and helps you live the life that God wants you to as you are feeding the Spirit of God through reading the Word of God, fellowshipping with the people of God, and praying to God. All of those things help grow and strengthen the Spirit of God within us, empowering us, filling us. So God gives us His presence and His power. The problem is that many of us don't tap into that power because we're too far away. You know, I was a kid. I remember, how many of you remember when you got a remote control, uh, not remote, yeah, remote control TV? You know, how many of you remember, how about this? How many of you remember the two dials on your TV? Okay. How many of you remember going to you and you're like, I got to flip it all the way over on the other one? You had to, or you had to turn it on and wait for the TV to warm up. You remember that? Okay. The kids are like, what are you talking about? I can watch TV on my phone. Right? But I remember when my grandparents, my grandparents had a little bit more money, and I remember when they got their first remote control, and they had a huge basement. It was a fully finished basement. And they sent us down there when they didn't want to deal with us as grandkids. So we would go downstairs, and I remember we had the remote control, and we thought we had power. (laughs) So we were walking around, because we'd never seen a remote control before. So we were like, ha-ha, ha-ha. And we were like, see how far it goes. So we'd run back to the other side of the room, and we realized that there was a range for that remote. It wouldn't work very far. We couldn't access and turn it on. See, if we get too far away. See, many of us, we're too far away from God to tap into that power that he has available for us. We've got to enter back into his presence to tap into what he has for us. It requires repentance. Drawing near to God. What's James say? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your minds. Repent of your, you've got to repent. Coming back to God to enter into his presence again. So we must make sure that we are drawing near to God and entering into that power that he has available to us. See, God promised us his power, and he promises us his provision. Look at verse 6. His provision, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of glory, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. See, God is the one who will shake the heavens and the earth. God is the one who says that the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saying that I have the ability. Material wealth means nothing in in that I can do whatever I want, but I want to do it through you, and it's going to require you to be obedient to me to see that happen. Does God need you? No. He chooses to use you. He chooses to use you. So we have to enter into that blessing that he has for us and realize that he will provide for us when we obey him. So it's, it's, it's trusting God and standing on his promises. Just like it says in Malachi, when God says, I will throw open the, the windows of heaven and pour forth such blessing, you won't understand and believe it. I'm reminded of the story of Robert Morris. I read this past week. He's a pastor in Texas. 
And he, he really did believe in standing on the promises of God. And as a young evangelist, uh, he depended on free will offerings to survive. So he made a decision to give away his only offering check for the month. That same night, he was blessed to see God return it back to him tenfold. Now, Robert goes on to share how during one 18-month period of time, and I want you to hear this, one 18-month period of time, he and his wife gave away nine vehicles they'd received, only to have each one replaced by God. Robert also recounts how, on yet another occasion, he felt God telling him to give away, now listen here, give away both his cars, his house, and all the money in his bank account. Some of you are like, that's nuts. Uh, he's feeling God, God telling him this now. And he writes, I remember thinking to myself, aha, I've outgiven God. Okay? And then the Lord came back and gave his response. A man called to tell Robert that he had purchased him an airplane and was going to pay for the hangar, fuel, insurance, maintenance, pilot, and any other traveling expenses. As I stood there stammering, stammering and stunned, I heard the still small voice of the Lord whisper in my spirit, gotcha. Can't outgive God. Can't outgive God. We have to give to him. We, we, can, we, we can't get outgive him. God will always meet us where we are. The Israelites had to trust in the Lord and his promise to provide for them. They had to trust that he, that he would prosper them. See, that's letter D in your notes, that God would also bring prosperity. Now, Peter Verhoff in his commentary says this. See, the reason for the previous assertion that God will provide the wealth of the nations Remember, he said, I will cause the Gentiles and all the, I will shake the nations. He says, to enhance the splendor of the temple is given in the verse, silver is mine and gold is mine. God is not dependent on our, on the insufficient and insignificant material and resources of the people to accomplish his purpose with the new temple. All material wealth is his. He goes on to say, all, the, the reference to silver and gold has a double meaning. It concerns the totality of all precious things. And it emphasizes the intrinsic value of this material wealth. Everything is at his disposal. Every beast of the forest, the cattle on a thousand hills, according to Psalm 50, verse 10. In verse 8, however, the allusion is not so much to the absolute ownership of God because he is the creator and sustainer of all things, but to him as the victor in the holy war on this day. He says he's going to shake the nations. He's going to be victorious, and he's going to cause great blessing and prosperity to be displayed and shown. He has the ability to give prosperity, and he will if we, and I don't mean like the name it, claim it, that kind of thing. What I mean is this flourishing, flourishing, God causing it to flourish so that they would have their hunger taken care of. They wouldn't be quenching their thirst. They would be planting and sowing, and God would cause great reaping to occur. It's the idea of flourishing there. So they'd enter into this great prosperity. And lastly, they would enter into an unknown and an amazing, phenomenal peace. Notice that in the last verse, verse 9. And in this place I will give peace. I will give peace. The word in Hebrew is shalom. It's the understanding of wholeness. Wholeness of being. Peace with God. Peace with one another. And peace with ourselves. And I will give peace peace. See, God expects us to enter into his, enter into his and stand on his promises. Are we going to do it? 
Are we going to stand on his promises? I mean, we live in the midst of a chaotic world that's hard to make sense of, and all these different competing philosophies that say, no, 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 choose your way. Choose God's way. Don't, don't choose God's way. You've got to be nuts. Choose this way. I did it my way. That's the way to go. Do it yourself. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Live your own philosophy. Do all that. But God says, no, 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 no. This way leads to destruction. This way leads to life and blessing and flourishing. Choose God's way. God's way. You know, just let me conclude with this. There's a story that Tony Evans tells of a father who is interacting with his child. And uh, the child was, of course, kind of coming to him. And, and uh, he was busy, so he was trying to keep the child busy. So he took up this piece of paper that had the, the world in it. And so he, uh, on the world on the paper, so he ripped it all up into pieces. And he goes, put it all back together trying to keep the child busy. The child came back in just a few minutes and it was all taped up and there was a beautiful picture of the world. And he was surprised and he said, how did you do that? All those pieces were together. She goes, Daddy, you didn't realize that on the other side was a picture of Jesus. When I put Jesus and I saw the picture of Jesus and had it together, then the world made sense. It's very true. When we look to Jesus and we choose God's way, then everything else in this chaotic world makes sense. Choose God's way, trust in the true promise keeper, and you will enter into the blessed life that God has for you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you are the one true God. You are the true promise keeper. Lord, we do pray that you forgive us of our failures. You forgive us for our fears. You forgive us for holding on to our sin and not repenting of it and believing that you are the true sin forgiver and that you can give us new life in you. Lord, help us to live the entirety of our lives under your lordship. Help us to organize every single aspect of our being to show that you are the Lord of all. Lord, whether that means our generosity, whether that means our work or our, our marriages or our child rearing or, or Lord, if it's, it's uh, glorifying you in our retirement years or glorifying you as a student, whatever it may be, Lord, let us get a picture of you so that the chaotic world in which we find ourselves makes sense. And may we give you what is already yours, making you the first priority of our lives so that your name might receive glory in us and through us. Lord, rebuild us. Do something in our midst that only you can do, that when those who are mocking and scoffing, that they might be just have their mouths stilled because they see your hand at work. We, this can't happen without your your blessing and the power of your spirit working through us. But Lord, help us to live holy lives committed unto you. So Lord, please use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just to remind you, um, on your way out, we do have something for the dads, right? Right? So where, where's that at? All right on the table. For men, for those that are fathers, we have some cookies. Okay, we weren't going to give you flowers because you don't want flowers, but I guarantee you'll eat cookies. <laughs> All right, so we do want to honor our, our dads and grads. And before that, we wanted to uh, give an opportunity um, for you to respond to the message and what God is doing as we saved our offering until the end. So before you get your cookies, <laughs> it's a time for us to give out of the generous nature of our hearts and what the grace that God has worked within us. And give back to him what is already his. And remember, we ask you if you want to contribute to Operation Renovation, which is our, our basement remodel, phase one. Uh, we need those people to commit to those amounts. 
And we're, we're asking God to do this by August 11th. We're either to pledge it, we'll have a formal pledge time on uh, June 30th, the last Sunday of the month, to, to, that we're going to step forward in faith, asking God to bless us. We don't want to see any ministries be uh, set back, whether it's our VBS or whether it's Generations or whether it's working with World Relief or, or whatever it may be or any, um, any other ministries that happen to be here. We don't want to see anything else have to be moved. We want to see it here in this place. Because we're going to acquire a step of faith and for us to, to acknowledge God's lordship in our lives and give back to, to him what is already his. So if you want to give to that, make sure that you, you mark in your checkbook um, or you give to it, put Operation Renovation. Other than that, we do want to give. Um, and r- like I said before, our goal is not just to build a building. Our build is also to, goal is to help people. Help people. And we know that there are some of you that are struggling. We want to make sure that we help and meet those needs as well. Uh, so we hope to do that and have something maybe in the future we could try and see where we just have an offering just to help those who are struggling. Because um, it's not just about the building. It's about people, loving people, and showing them the kingdom of God. So let's pray for God's blessing on our offering. And uh, yes, let's pray. Father, you are the one who has cattle on a thousand hills. And Lord, we know you have blessed us with so much, even though we do struggle and many of us are going through very hard times now for just circumstances or consequences of poor choices we've made. Lord, we do, though, want to reorient ourselves to you, the true north. Lord, lead us and help us to go your way. We're tired of going our own way. And Lord, we give to you this offering now, asking you to take what we give and make it much. And Lord, help us to build your kingdom, not just build a building, but build your kingdom. And Lord, I know that there are those that are hurting. Help us to give with thankful hearts, and to be able to help those who are hurting and going through a hard time, that your name might receive glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.